0: Welcome to the podcast of Leeds First Methodist Church. We are so glad you decided to tune in with us today. The following sermon was preached by Pastor Chris, and it is the fourth sermon in our church's Living for God's Kingdom series. If you would like to watch the entire worship service, you can do so by visiting our website at leedsfirst.org, and at the top of the page, go to Worship and click Online Worship.
1: Good morning, my name is Chris Stallings. It's my privilege to get to be pastor here at Leeds First Methodist Church. Welcome to those that are in the room, those that are joining online. We're in part four of our series entitled Living for God's Kingdom. The devil is real. We fool ourselves if we deny that. And our purpose for those that follow Jesus is to follow him. And part of that is to resist what the devil is trying to do throughout history, throughout days, and especially, it seems, in the month of October, there are temptations to delve into celebrating things that are evil, things that are Violent, things that are even bordering on demonic as we journey through this month of October. As we journey through this series of living for God's kingdom, we're looking at things that will help us to resist those things and stay focused on living for God's kingdom. We've got a key verse that's been guiding us through this series. It comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verse 12. It reads, "For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the world in the dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places." Today we continue our series, Living for God's kingdom, take joy even in suffering. Take joy even in the suffering. Do you like rainy days? I'm looking out. Now imagine you got a big outdoor event planned, right? Big party outside, whatever. Do you like rainy days? No! Those are not good days. But there are some things for which rain and those events go perfectly together. Some of you know that I was raised in the country. We didn't have much in the country, but most of us had a four-wheel drive truck for hunting or working on the farm. And so when we didn't have much to do, when it would rain, we'd look for the muddiest, wettest, most likely to get mired up to the fender spot and go all in. Anybody with me? Do y'all know what mudding is? Yeah? as I grew up and became an adult, got married, had a family, those inclinations weren't completely wiped out. In fact, there was a time when we had a a Jeep we used to go camping in. And it was after my daughter was born, and she was young, like still in the the full strap a man car seat, right, like two or three. We went riding one day in the Jeep, just going out and about, Had her strapped in the back, my wife next to me driving, and it started raining. Turned on the wipers, started raining some more, and my country boy kicked in, and I started looking for a dirt road, (laughs) and I found one, and I took it, and my wife looked at me, kind of like, what you doing? She grew up in Homewood, Alabama. I don't know if they have mud in Homewood. (laughs) Why are you taking a perfectly good paved road and taking the dirt road? Why are you intentionally running your old car into the ditch it would seem? What you doing? They ventured a little bit further and engaged in what we do when we go mudding. Psh, into the mud hole. Psh, splashed up everywhere. They started perking up a little bit. Because one thing about mudding, it kind of feels like what city folks call a roller coaster, you know? So it was some fun, and as we went along, they started getting more and more engaged in what started out as a resistance or fear or even disrespect of the art of mudding turned into a kind of engagement with it. It wasn't too long after that we were sailing down some old logging roads in a jeep which are safe for anything, right? Well, at least 50 miles an hour. (sighs) Fording across rivers (laughs) and from the front and back seat I hear faster, faster and they're all in because mud is kind of fun. When it rains We kind of get disappointed if we got a major outdoor event planned. We like to change our plans or maybe move it inside. But what if we decide to play in the rain? It's inevitably going to rain, right? So what if we embraced it? In our lives, in our spiritual lives, it can be a metaphor for rain. As much as we hope for a life of just calmness and ease is not the case. Right, we will face suffering. We will face trials. While we hope for perpetual bliss, we get days when it rains. But what if we can have joy even in the suffering, what if we can play in the rain? Let's look at how we might approach life to have joy in the suffering. You have got your Bible. I invite you to take it out or to turn it on to the book of First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians is the New Testament. It's a book written. Again, like some of the books we've looked at recently by the Apostle Paul. And he's writing to a church that he was a part of founding in the Greek Macedonian city of Thessalonica. Somewhere around fifty fifty one AD he was there and, and laid the foundation for a church. And now, years later, he's writing to them. As a kind of pastoral care. He's moved on, but he's like, I care for you, I love you. And so he's writing to them to encourage them to live into the faith that he presented to them, that they've been handed, and especially as they face suffering. We see this theme emerge again and again throughout the New Testament. Let's read now from First Thessalonians, verse excuse me, chapter one. We'll read verses one through. 10, I'm reading the new Living translation. if you want to switch to that version. if you got the app, the words should also be on our screens. First Thessalonians chapter one, verse 1. This letter is from Paul, Silas and Timothy. We're writing to the church in Thessalonica, "To you who belong to the God, the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. May God give you grace and peace." We always thank God for all of you and pray for you constantly. As we pray to our God and Father about you, we think of your faithful work, your loving deeds, and the enduring hope you have because of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4, we know, dear brothers and sisters, that God loves you and has chosen you to be his own people. For when we brought you the good news, it was not only with words, but also with power. The Holy Spirit gave you full assurance that what we said was true. And you know of our concern for you from the way we lived when we were with you. Verse 6. So you received the message of joy from the Holy Spirit in spite of the severe suffering it brought you. In this way you imitated both us and the Lord. As a result, you've become an example to all the believers in Greece throughout both Macedonia and Achaia. Verse eight, and now the word of the Lord is ringing out from you to people everywhere, even beyond Macedonia and Achaia. For wherever we go, we find people telling us about your faith in God. We don't need to tell them For they keep talking about the wonderful welcome you gave us and how you turned away from idols and serve the living and true God. And they speak of how you are looking forward to the coming of God's Son from heaven, Jesus, whom God raised from the dead. He is the one who has rescued us from the terrors of the coming judgment. This is the word of God for the people of God. And we say... In verse 6, Paul highlights this seemingly opposing emotion of suffering and joy. Maybe even some would call a paradox. How do you have suffering and joy? He talks about how the church there in Thessalonica had joy from the message of God's Holy Spirit. And then they had suffering because of it. Paul encourages the church while they're facing suffering to continue to follow Jesus. There's a theme here and many places throughout the New Testament. Where they had the supernatural power. Of God's Spirit dwelling in them. The joy that comes with that. The miraculous signs and wonders that come with that. Yet scripture here and other places in the New Testament share scenes of those who simultaneously are experiencing suffering. Who are right in the middle of God's will for their life and yet they are experiencing suffering. Hardship. It was the case then. It was the case in other New Testament churches. It's the case now in my life, often in your life, in the life of our church even. This year has been one of those joy years and one of those suffering years. Y'all know we have a great campus, a great facility. But this year it feels like every month there's something else that's breaking. I think we're on our second air conditioners that's going, hey, over here, (laughs) we need to replace you, right? And so in that same time frame, we have a church that is fully engaging in our mission. We have over 70% of our people engaged in serving that mission through our church. And some of those are serving, praise God, on our toolbox and our landscape teams <laughs> that are working bit by bit to bring about the stuff that repairs those things. Suffering and joy. The life of our church this year, we've experienced the loss of people that are beloved members we cared and cherished about, it, and they've gone on towards glorification in heaven. Suffering. At the same time, we've had new people who've been baptized, professed faith, and are part of the mission of our church to make paths for more people to know and grow like Jesus. We have both suffering and joy. So, how do we live a life where? We can take joy even in the suffering. Let's look now to this passage, how we might learn from it and apply it to our life. If you've got your worship bulletin, either on your phone or a paper copy, I invite you to take it out now. Be a place for you to take notes, follow along, that you might apply these to your life. Number one, even in suffering, be an example Others, an example to others. This comes from verse 7. As a result, you have become an example to all the believers in Greece, throughout both Macedonia and Achaia. Now, let me set the, the table for this. When you are penalized for your wrongdoing, when you've lied, cheated, stealed, or murdered, you get caught and get punished. For it, even whenever you ask for forgiveness, even when you try to make restitution, even when you confessed and repented to God and you're facing that punishment, that's not suffering, that's justice, right? The suffering we're talking about here, it starts in verse 6, is a suffering that comes from when you hadn't done anything wrong. Right, just by simply following Jesus, people were facing persecution. There's times in your life where you're going to have something, a relationship you've poured into. You've done all you can to save it, and it still is gone. There's going to be times when we get the news. They're saying, you've got this thing. We don't know what causes it. There's nothing we can do about it. Suffering. It's in those times God invites us. To be examples even to others. Apostle Paul wrote about his own suffering many places. And first, excuse me, in 2 Corinthians, he talked about having a thorn in his flesh. We said three times in 2 Corinthians 12, I begged the Lord to take it away. And each time he says, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. These sufferings produce perseverance. In our faith, with the result that we would be mature in our faith. Have y'all heard of this guy named Tom Brady? Anybody? Y'all know Tom Brady? Quarterback, football. Most recently, I think he played for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, maybe? Before that, he played for New England Patriots. In many years, across both those teams, he won multiple Super Bowls. Evidently, a pretty good quarterback. Some people say he's the GOAT. Y'all know that greatest of all time, right? That's pretty good, right? Many years he's played to his like 91. <laughs> oh, he's like 40. But anyway, that's unusual to be able to play football that age. Did you know Tom Brady, at one time when he was in college, wasn't a superstar? In fact, he wasn't even the starting quarterback. In fact, he was down, he wasn't second string, he was down the depth chart. Tom kind of developed an attitude and actually confronted the coach. He said, Coach, what are you, why are you wasting my talent? Right? The coach says, "You know what? I need for you to go speak with our sports psychologist. The, I think it was at Michigan. And so they scheduled an appointment, Tom went to them, and of course he went in whining. <laughs> this is what he says, "I'm never going to get a chance. They only give me two wit, excuse me, two reps all week in practice." The psychologist replied, just go out there and focus on doing the best that you can with those two reps. Make them as perfect as you possibly can. So that's what I did, Brady said. They'd put me in for those two reps, and man, I'd sprint out there like I was going out for Super Bowl 39. Let's go, boys. Here we go. What play we got? I started to do really well with those two reps. And because I had enthusiasm and energy and did well with those two reps, he said those two turned into four over the course of a few weeks. And those four turned into ten in the course of the season. Before you knew it, Brady said, that new mindset in me to focus on what you can control, to focus on what you're getting and not what anyone else has, to treat every rep like the Super Bowl, eventually I became the starter. You see, when we face suffering, our mindset is to focus on that, on our suffering. And I don't mean to diminish that. Those are real, the times we hurt, the times we grieve, so it's not to ignore that. But the tendency is to say, I can't fix it, and to dwell on that. What this letter to the Thessalonian church see, and still be an example even in your suffering. Look at the thing that you can control, your faith. Look at the things that are not suffering in your life and do those well. You don't have to do everything in the midst of suffering. You're sick and you're hurting. Let some of it go and focus on what you can. You know, if you have a heartbeat and breath, you still got life. And if you've got life, you've got the potential for God's purpose in you. And if that's all you've got is the breath, your one focus might be the breath prayer. Breathe in. Breathe out, God, I trust you. That might be the one thing that you can do. Many of us are suffering, but not to that extent. But if we are, that might be what we do is, God, as we breathe out, pray. Let me be a blessing to those around me. Breathe in. Breathe out, God, would you transform, bring peace in the world. And as you have more than just a breath, Focus on doing those as an example of God's power in you. Not ignoring the suffering, not, not pretending it's not there, but not trying to do everything, the things you can't do, but do the things you can and let them be an example and a witness of God working in you and through you. Even in suffering, be an example to others. Number two, even in suffering, share the truth. Even in suffering, share the truth. Verse 8 says, or reads, And now the word of the Lord is ringing out from you to people everywhere, even beyond Macedonia and Achaia. The word, word here, is talking about the life and ministry and resurrection of Jesus and its impact into those who heard it. The church in Thessalonica Heard that, and not only did they put their faith in Jesus, not only did they begin to be around other church people or be a Christian, it transformed their life. They were shaped by the truth and the power of the gospel. The New Interpreter's Bible Commentary states it like this. It says, thus the power of the gospel is not a singular one-time force on the church at the moment of your incorporation into the family of God. Even now, its power continues to make an impact on you as you and other believers await Jesus' return. It's that change derived from putting your faith in Jesus in the truth of God that you can share with others even in your suffering. That the gospel would impact them like it's impacted you. Even in suffering, share the truth of God. And number three, even in suffering, cherish our true faith. Even in suffering, cherish our true faith. Verse 9 says, for they keep talking about the wonderful welcome you gave us and how you turned from idols to serve the living and true God. In the Psalms, David, in Psalm 25, 15 says, my eyes are always on the Lord for he rescues me from the traps of my enemies. Poet Mary Oliver says, attention... Attention is the beginning of devotion. You cannot truly love something upon which you are not focused. And when we face suffering, it's our chance to be focused on God. Our true love. Our powerful, almighty, salvation-giving Jesus. I like this saying, and I'm not sure... From where it comes it says glance at circumstances but gaze at God glance at the circumstances of life oh uh, yeah I, I see that problem coming you got to glance sometimes at those things that are life but don't let your gaze come off of God does that make sense glance at circumstances but gaze at God serving idols says when suffering Ensues, give it up. See, it's not working anyway, but whenever you're serving the true God, it says, God's got you, He's got your path for eternity. Stay the course, cherish our true faith. This week, I heard a I'm gonna just call it a false prophet, a guy by the name of Greg Locke. Greg is a pastor of a church of about 50 people. And online, he's got about 150,000 followers because he just, right? And Greg's on the internet this week. He says the church's biggest waste of money, this is a falsehood. He says the church's biggest waste of money is, is its compliance with the Americans with Disability Act. He said if those churches had any faith, people would already be healed. And I was like, Right? Like he's basically saying, it's your fault if you're suffering. That's a lie of the devil. It's a falsehood. That's not what God says or teaches. Okay? You can be right in the middle of God's will and still be suffering. God can and does bring healing to express his kindness, his hope, his power. But he doesn't give us a perpetual get healed of everything card in this life. Y'all know the story of Lazarus, right? Jesus resuscitated him from death back to life, but he didn't live for eternity on earth. Y'all seen Lazarus walking around? Right? He eventually passed away, right? And so we don't get to name it and claim it when it comes to suffering. You can be absolute in God's will and still face suffering. So if somebody says it's you're not being faithful when you suffer. You're not a failure whenever you are suffering in God's will. You're being faithful, okay? In fact, God wants to reach out and wrap his arms around you and hold you, bring people around you. And yeah, there be times when we say, God, please bring relief. But even if you don't, God, our faith remains in you. You can, but even if you don't, Our faith is true. And so we don't fall for the idols or the the name it and claim it. God wants to use us as a witness for following. As a witness to a doubting world. If we suffer while following Jesus, we're not a failure. We're faithful. And anyone who says otherwise is a false prophet. And so you're invited, even in suffering, to cherish Your true faith. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the blessing of the truth of Jesus. Thank you for your passion, your compassion, and your love for us. God, I pray that you would work in and through us. That we would be a witness to your good news. God, that you would use us even in our suffering that we would be a time, a place, a people of hope. In Jesus'
0: name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We would love for you to visit us in person at 8.45 a.m. for modern worship or at 11 a.m. for traditional worship. If you would like to plan a visit, Simply text the word CONNECT to the number 205-772-4906 and you'll be sent a link to get you started. Thanks again, and God bless.